This will be kind of like a part two, carryover from last week. So this is like a part two. So if you missed a little bit last week, we'll still dive into some of that. Um, and we'll just pick up a couple, I think, like loose ends that maybe you might have been like last week. Hey, he never talked about this, or he never brought that up. And you're right, I didn't. But like time came and gone. Um, so I'll start with this. It's kind of interesting that's happened this week. So, uh, you know, you guys know I teach uh, at a high school, and it's, it's freshmen through seniors, and I was given a, uh, a quiz uh, to a particular class. I knew the class was going to kind of struggle on it because they haven't been doing really well just in class, just not participating a lot. Um, when they did, it's like, what are you saying? Where have you been? Um, it's just been a struggle. So I pass out this quiz, and uh, there is um, this young man who's been out absent a lot, and so he came back, and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm ready to take, you know, a quiz that he missed. And I'm like, I don't know, you know. He's like, no, no, I'm good, I'm good. All right. Um, so he's in the back, and he's, like, taking a quiz, and the class is taking the quiz. And um, a lot of times I let them use their phones on their desk so if they can keep it on their desk. And you just have the calculator app open. I'm fine with that. Fine. So I walk around and watch them. I can't do a lot of walking now. So I have to watch very carefully who's doing what. So I'm watching, and most of them are doing fine. You know, if this is a healthy, that's calculator, right? That's think, 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 think. That's calculator. This guy in the back, he's like this. Not calculator. It's not calculator. And so I see it, you know, and, and just like cheating, just like just in general, just cheating runs rampant. It's just crazy how much cheating goes on all of the time, and especially with the advent of phones and technology and pictures and Snapchat. It's just, it just runs rampant. It's crazy. So, um, so he's like, you know, and they're just so like not smooth either. Probably brazen is a better word. I think that's probably a better word because brazen means that even if they get caught, they don't really care. And that's actually scarier. That's like no shame attached to it, which I think there probably should be a little bit of shame attached. Like that's not a good thing. So I see him, you know. (sighs) So I'm like, here we go again. You know, it's like, it's always something. So I'm letting him, you know. And you do the thing as a teacher, what you do is, at least what I try and do. So, so some teachers will hop on real fast and real early. What are you doing? You shouldn't be doing that. And cheating, because it's so rampant, the policies are, are pretty heavy duty as far as when they get caught. There's like a three-step kind of deal that happens. And um, a lot of teachers, understandably and justifiably so, come quick and come hard. And like I said, understandably and justifiably so a lot of the time. Sometimes I do, um, but not a lot. So, uh, you know, I see him, and what I do as a teacher, I just make eye contact first, you know? Sometimes that's just enough. Because if, if they're doing something they shouldn't be doing, many times, if you can make the eye contact, they're like doing their, or their, whatever they're doing, and then if the teacher's just laser beam on them, they look up, and they do this. It's one of those. And then typically they don't go back. 
This one went back to it. <laughs> he went right back to it. It's like, oh, man. So I let some more time go by because you don't know what they're doing. And just sure enough, you know. It's like after 20 minutes, pretty patient. A few looks. And a couple times he even smiled at me. Come on, you know, it's like craziness. Like the smile is really going to throw the teacher off the trail. So after some time, I'm just like, I said, hey, uh, I said, you don't need to swipe when you use your calculator. I yelled his name out. I said, hey, so-and-so, you don't need to swipe with a calculator. And he just froze. And a couple of kids in the class went, whoa. <laughs> so, um, so he goes, oh, yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. He said, I, I had to, uh, you know, check something. I said, yeah, okay. So then I see him towards the end of the class. I'm like, hey, why don't you just, you know, talk with me real quick. He's like, all right. So uh, I said, hey, and everybody leaves after class. I said, hey, man, I said, you don't need to swipe. There's, there's literally no need. It's calculated. You're swiping. I know, I know. I, I had something open I shouldn't have, you know. And I said, yeah. I said, you really shouldn't lie to me. Like, It's a lot easier if we can come to an understanding together in an honest way and then move forward. It's just a lot easier. And honestly, it's a lot more productive, right? Isn't that true? Like, If you've gotten caught in something, and let's, let's just assume for a minute you're not taking advantage of the situation, but let's just say you've gotten caught with something. There may have been people or times in your life that just come alongside and like, mm. they're not endorsing what you did, but they're helping you come to an understanding so you can be honest about it and then come to a better place. There's an actual learning that can take place there that's really constructive and helpful. And it does a lot better than, oh, you did a bad thing, now I rub your face in it. Because it doesn't just do a lot of good. That just teaches something for next time, do better so you don't get caught. And I don't think that's what discipline is really supposed to be like. So, I said, man, you shouldn't like lie about that. It's not good. He goes, all right, all right, Mr. Murphy. I'll just be honest with you. I was on Snapchat with my girlfriend. I, I went on it. I shouldn't have. And so as he's talking, I'm just like, I'm already rolling my eyes. I'm like, you're saying you're being honest, man, but just flat out, you're not. I just know. I know the situation. I know who you are. Like, I said, okay. I said, well, I appreciate you saying that. You know, I said, listen. So let's just do one last thing. I said, I'm just going to pick any random one that you got right on this quiz. You do it at the board. We don't have a problem. You're fine. Okay, okay. You know, and I'm like, and I'm still shaking my head because I'm like, man, you're in so deep right now, and you could still get out, but you won't. You won't. Like that, we won't. Right? We won't. We're in that deep, like there's something about us that like, constantly fights back, and maybe I can, and maybe I will. And it's like, why do we do that stuff, you know? So he gets to the board, and there's a few other kids there, you know, for extra help, and they're watching the whole thing unfold. And they're like, man, just tell them. Like, so he gets to the board, I read off a problem, and he's up there with his little marker looking at the board, and he's like, and he turns to me and he goes, so what I do is, I said, man, I'm not coaching you through this. Said, you got this right no less than 15 minutes ago. Not even like a day went by so you forgot. <laughs> just, just go with what you did before. You'll be, you'll be okay. 
And he's just like looking at it. He's like looking at it. And he's like, so what I do is, you know, I, I do this first, right? And I'm like, I'm like, no, you actually do this first. So you didn't even like come up with the right suggestion. I'm like, no, you know, you do this first. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right, that's right. I got that confused with another one. Sure you did. <laughs> so then we walk through some more of it, and it's just a total train wreck of just craziness. And the kids, like, it's so obvious. And so now, right, now is the time, you know, how do you handle that situation? Because at this point in time, after, obviously, there's been all this lying and trying to cover up and just all this stupidness, what happens is there's a situation where this discipline, however somebody views discipline, is now going to be revealed, right? Because obviously, they know they're caught, they're done, everybody else knows. And so now the question is, what's the person in charge going to do? And right there is revealed somebody's idea or vision of what discipline should be and what should happen. And in that particular situation, I felt like by reading the situation that we could go somewhere better. If I didn't feel that way, I'd be like, all right, what's the cheating policy, you know, and then go through the steps. But in this situation, it didn't quite feel like that. And that's not every situation. So I said, man, I said, I said what are you doing? Like, do you, what do you think? I'm an idiot? Like, I, you're swiping. I even say it during class, and you go right back to it. I don't understand. And, you know, and then, and then when, we're, when we're in like that, and all of our cards have been shown, everybody has the, oh, crap, I'm screwed face. That's the one he had on. You know, and then he wouldn't even look at me, which says something, right? I mean, he's not proud about what he did. He tried really hard to cover it up, but deep down, I just know. He's a better kid than that. So uh, he looked away, and he's like, ah, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's just, just stupid, you know? He's like, what do we do now? I don't know, man. What do we do now? I said, I said, you know, let's talk about the cheating thing after this. I said, listen, no ma- we can't go anywhere unless you know this material. I said, you take it another hundred times. You're going to fail every time. I said, I think the goal of why you're here and why you're paying money to be here is to learn. I said, so I'll give you some time now, and then, you know, we'll do this quiz again on Monday. And so he stayed after. A couple other kids were helping him. I was helping him. And... I wouldn't say he got it perfectly, but he got it pretty good. I was even fairly taken back. I was like, hmm, I was, you know, where's that been? You know, God forbid you just try hard. Imagine that. So it's pretty successful. And I said, listen, man, I said, I said, this is like, you know, forgiveness time. I said, this happens again, and like, it's not going to be good for you. It's going to be like, we'll skip steps, and it'll be way more severe. I said, but at this point in time, Let's get the material. Let's get it done. I said, what do you think I should do with the old quiz? He's like, man, just throw it out. It's going to be a whole new one, whatever it is. I'll do it. I said, all right. You know? And, and not every you know, school discipline issue goes like that. It just happened to be that one did. But I think within that, it helps us, I think, just think a little bit better about this idea of church discipline, right? Because discipline, discipline, discipline. That's what we've been talking about. So Paul is bringing up. This idea of church discipline. And it's like a really delicate thing to do well. Just like in my scenario with that student, that's, that's a really delicate thing that you want to do well if you care about the students. 
If somebody doesn't care, then I guess they'll just do whatever they want and make sure that the letter of the law is done. That's an approach, but I don't think that's a great one. So I think that, like, in your bulletin there, it says, at the blank of church, blank, should be found the blank of the blank, blah, 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 right? So here's the blanks there. At the heart of church discipline, at the heart of church discipline should be found the heart of God. At the heart of church discipline should be found the heart of God. The heart of God is all about restoring. It's all about helping. It's all about coming alongside and saying, hey, that's not a great way to go about this. There's a better way, and I'll even empower you to get there. The heart of God is so much for a person and their value and their destiny, right? It calls out the value on a person's life and it highlights their destiny. That's the heart of God. And it shouldn't change in the realm of discipline. But so many of us, we know discipline. What we know with discipline is we know this. We know discipline and we know anger. Very, very few times is discipline not coming with anger. And that's why, like, even in parenting, like, spanking is, like, a big issue and all kinds of different things. But honestly, whether you're spanking your kids or putting them in timeouts or, you know, grounding them or whatever it is, if there's anger attached to it, we're missing it. See, the heart of discipline is more of help show them there's no value in what they're about to do. Help show them there's no value in it. And then... Help to show them where there is tremendous amount of value so they can be empowered, empowered to not go there again. That's the heart of discipline. Not just to show where somebody's wrong and when they're off, but to say, hey, there is like no value in where you're going and what you're doing. It's just, like you could do it, but I hope you can be like, well, you know, I've tried that, I've gone there. Like it's just, it's not going to be helpful for you. It's going to be so frustrating. And then the heart of discipline also comes alongside and says, hey, Let me help you out, get to where I think it's better. And it's no different with church disciplines. That's why, like, when a church, when it does come a time, and we'll talk about it in a minute, we'll we'll fill in that stuff, but when the time of church discipline does come, it's very delicate, and it's got to be aligned with the heart of God, who's for people, who highlights their value and their destiny. And there are super rare occasions where people could care less about any of it and they just want to do their own thing, their own way, their own way. They're completely brazen about it. And there's not a whole lot you can do in that case. You kind of have to just let them go. That's all you can really do. But that's rare. It's rare. Um, and I put this phrase to follow up with that fill in the blank. It's not in your bulletin, but I just had it down. We're talking about the heart of God. Within the heart of God is a love that fiercely protects and a love that gently restores. Within the heart of God is a love that fiercely protects and gently restores. Fiercely protects and gently restores. There's a part of God's love that everybody likes to talk about and everybody appreciates that's caring, gentle, 
It's even said about Jesus, a bruised reed he would not break. Super caring. Very gentle. There's another part of Jesus and of God that's fiercely protective of his children and of his truth. And that's like a tougher one for people to swallow. Until you become a parent. And you realize love can be fierce for the right reasons. You want to protect your little ones. You won't just tolerate some things that might invade their life that you know for a fact is bad for them. That's a fierce part of love. Might even be harsh at times. But it's a part of love. And so I think it's just important for us, you know, as Christians to be like, you know, there is the love that gently restores, but there's one that fiercely protects as well. And he wants to protect his bride. He's very serious about his bride. Just as any father would be very serious about his daughter going with some guy. He's very serious about his bride. He's like, no, we're having a big wedding later. Take care of her. Take care of her. All right, so let's highlight a couple of things from last week. So when church discipline does have to happen, these are some things to keep in mind. Uh, do we judge or do we not judge? Right? That's, that's the, kind of the thing, because Paul brought that up um, in chapter 5. Uh, let's see here, verse uh, 3, even though I'm not physically present, I am with you in spirit, and I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. Uh, When you are assembled in the name of Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan, which we'll talk about in a minute, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and the spirit saved for the day of the Lord. And... He will go on later. Should have had this highlighted for your horn hand. Excuse me, I do Bible study in front of you. Um, somebody find the part in there where. Uh, yeah, that's part of it. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church or not to judge those inside? That's part of it. And then there's another part in there. I can't find it. Somebody's got to find it and yell it out. Um, the, no, no. 4.12. But there's a part in there that also says that we're going to judge angels. Right? So find that one in there and just yell it out after. Good job, Pastor. So, but on 4.12 there, okay, what is it? Thank you. 6.3. Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint judges as men of little account in the church. So it's pretty clear here that Paul's saying, hey, judgment should happen. But then Jesus, in Matthew 7, verse 1, he says, hey, don't judge or you're going to be judged. So it's like, God, what are you saying here? And you can find multiple verses on either side. You'll find verses that say judge, and you'll find verses that say don't judge. So what's the deal? Well, the deal is we're supposed to do both. That's great, right? So we're not supposed to judge someone and say, you are going to hell, you're going to heaven. I just, you know, that's what you're doing. And I'm condemning you to either place. 
That's like what we're not called to do. We're not called to just, you know, walk around and be like, mm, they're a real Christian. They're not a real Christian. Their faith is legitimate. Their faith is not legitimate. It's unhealthy. But within the church, the church leadership is called to keep an eye out for the flock. You say, eh, you know, like, it's kind of funky what's going on over there. You know, it's kind of funky. Maybe we should check that out. Go talk. You know, get to know some people. See what's going on. Take them out to dinner. Have them over the house. Do something, right? So there's supposed to be both going on. Because that love gently restores, but it fiercely protects. And if you're going to protect the bride, if you're going to protect the bride, the leadership has to be aware of what's going on. Has to be. Otherwise, it can be very dangerous very fast. And that's why Paul meant in this same chapter, hey, if you let a little bit of leaven in there, it's going to be bad for the whole thing. So within the church, yes, there's some domains and areas for judgment, but we're really called to live our lives, not to go around judging anybody. We're called to live in the transformational work of Jesus Christ and love them the absolute best that we can. God handles the judgment part. If we get to conversations where people want to know God's truth and where they stand, I don't think we should be shy or bashful to talk about it, but it can't be in a way that completely condemns and crushes them. This is very fine line stuff. So, judge, don't judge, both. Does it make any sense? It takes a lot of wisdom and discernment and like, you know, leading of God as far as how to do this stuff. And church leadership is really important. Really important. And like I mentioned before, you know, for our church, like our leadership is not really established and it's still in training. And we've had to deal with a few different issues. But when they are like severe and like serious and heavy duty, we go to other pastors that we know and trust that have been around the block a lot of times for a long time. Say, hey, we got a young church, you know, we got something difficult here and What's the best way we can come alongside, help go towards restoration, but not turn a blind eye to this? Let's see what they say. You know? So church leadership's important. Alright. What gets disciplined? What exactly gets disciplined? I'm glad that you asked. Verse 11. Take a look. I did have that one written down. That was pretty good. But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother or sister, um, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer or a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man or woman, do not even eat. So that's the stuff that gets disciplined. Now, specifically, here's, here's the, the, the quick answer. Anybody who excuse me, lives in that stuff and does it and is completely unrepentant about it, they just do it. And they totally don't care what God thinks about it. That's what Paul is saying, hey, we can't have that in the church. That is not good. It's not going to be healthy if we can form up our church and have a whole sect of people over here saying, you know what? It's great. That's what they do and say, but we just do our own thing. That can be very dangerous, right? 
So that's what he's talking about. The stuff that gets disciplined is these things that happen, but people are totally unrepentant about. What it does not mean is it does not mean that the church is the church police with their outfit on and the badge and sense seekers, sniffers, and they go around and say, hey, you know, I don't know about that relationship. I'm not watching you. You know, and then they come over here and I heard what you said yesterday. You know, that doesn't mean that that's what we do or what the church, or what, that Christians should do that. Probably in this day and age, you'd be like, I saw what you posted on Facebook. Don't approve. You know, that's not, that's not what we're called to do. But what the church leadership is called to do is say, hey, notice some things like people are past the struggling and they're just flat out ignoring what God is asking and requiring. And maybe they still want to participate in church leadership or like in church functions that are very important. It puts the church leadership in a difficult situation because now they know that so-and-so really could care less about what God says but they're wanting to be involved more and be in places of influence. So you can see where that would create a difficult dynamic, right? So what gets disciplined? The unrepentant, stubborn heart. That's what gets disciplined. And, and like I said, that's not real often a lot in the church. But it does happen. It does happen. Um, how? How do we do it? The way we do it, turn to Matthew real quick, Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verse 15. Says, uh, Jesus, Jesus is talking here. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. So you should go and just have a talk with somebody. Just between the two of you, if he listens to you, you have one over your brother. And some version says if he understands. So the goal is not to get them to think the way that we think. And say, you, you know, the goal is not to be like, eh, you're right. The goal is to get there to be some kind of understanding. You still might be in different places, but there has to be an understanding. The Bible calls that a win. Most of us know winning when we're right. And the Bible's like, eh, not so much. So let's say that doesn't happen. Verse 16. But if you will not, um, yeah, but if you will not listen, take one or two to bring some people with you so that every matter may be established by a testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, the church leadership, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would pagan or a tax collector. In other words, treat him as though they really don't care about God. I mean, if they don't want God at all in their life, if they could care less about what God says, then let them go and do it. Let them go and do it. But all within that entire scenario has to be the heart of God. It has to be. And it has to cry out for them to see that, man, there's just no bad. So God, give me words to somehow highlight that. It's just going to lead to heartache and destruction, and they don't want that. They can't see it short-term, help them to see it long-term. 
right? These are the things that should be within us, right, when we go and have those conversations and come in contact with people. And then very close to that prayer is, and then, Lord, when you do work, open doors, provide ways so they can be reconciled, they can come back with their church family and be encouraged and be built up. And most Christians, the way they handle stuff like this is they're like, that's no good, we don't like it, here's the door. And many times it can go down like that. But again, at the heart of church discipline has to be the heart of God. That's what it's about. Okay, one. We already talked about that. That's a softball toss. Right? When does church discipline happen? Not on a Tuesday. Not on a Wednesday. Not at 7 a.m. When does it happen? When there's an unrepentant heart that could care less. That's when it happens. That's when it happens. And I've had, you know, several conversations with people like that. Like, yeah, I know it's wrong, and I just, I don't care, and I'm not going to, and just not. That's a fun conversation to have with somebody. (laughs) You got to take that somewhere, though. You got to take that somewhere. You got to take it somewhere good. Um, Okay, why? Why do church discipline in the first place? Why is it even an issue? Why is it something that even comes up? Why is Paul even talking about it? Very good question. i got two answers. Um, first one, we discipline. Church has this discipline thing in place because this is a bride. And a bride wears a white dress. Here's what I mean. I mean, in the ideal sense, in the ideal wedding sense, It's a powerful picture to where she is coming down all in white. Implying that she has committed to making herself as pure as she possibly can for the man she's about to take vows to. She has pursued purity in such a way so she's saying, I'm only giving it to you. And it's happening today. And everybody is there and sees it. Her face is even covered to signify and highlight the way that she has like removed herself in those areas. And then today, she will be giving herself to her husband. It was intentional. See, now today everybody just wears a white dress and it's just everybody just wears one. The idea was that it was an intentional an intentional behavior to say, I'm wearing that white dress, and I can wear that white dress. And maybe not that I ever made a mistake or never did anything, but at some point in time, that bride-to-be said, no, I'm going to go purity, God's way, with what he wants to do, and on my wedding day, I can feel good about wearing white. That's why church discipline needs to happen because Jesus is expecting a beautiful white dress from his bride. And it says in the last days, I talked with Diane about this earlier, in the last days the church will be known for walking in power and in purity. 
and take a look at the whole church as a whole now, and it's like, geez, we got some ways to go. But that's the idea. So why discipline? Because a bride has to wear a white dress. And number two, we talked about last week. The bride is supposed to represent places and pathways of freedom. The bride, the church, is supposed to represent pathways and places of freedom. Meaning, in the church, the church family should be filled with stories and with hearts. Let's say, you know what? Sexuality, I get it. God has just redeemed my life from that. And man, let me share it with you. Or the other church stories would be like, you know, God is asking a lot right now during this stage. Trust me, it's totally worth it. Let me tell you how and why. It might seem totally fine to do what you want now, but trust me, it's going to bite you a button later. So in the church, there's a whole other way of living life and handling every other aspect of life. And if it looks very similar to what everybody else is doing, how is that the church? How is that like a brand new life in God that shows freedom and victory? You'll never see it if it just looks like everything else. And many times I think the church, and I'm not saying our church, but many times the church in general likes to look as much like everybody else and then sprinkle some God in there so you can kind of take care of everything. It's like, no, 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 no. No, no, no. So two reasons. White dress, purity. Number two, this church, who we are as Christians, we're supposed to be able to have a story about how freedom and victory is found and how good Jesus is and how faithful he is. Because whatever gets preached up here and whoever says what is, is like, it's like whatever. It's about the lives of people that actually live out what gets preached and talked about. That's what connects with people. Because otherwise, we can just become people that also preach to everybody else. And it's very confusing and not helpful. In fact, it does a lot more damage. So we did the judge or don't judge. What gets disciplined? How? When? Why? I have a great fill in the blank on this one. I read this somewhere, so this is not mine. I don't take credit for it. Somebody very smart came up with this. So here's the last one. The proof of your pardon is your passion for purity. The proof of your pardon is your passion for purity. So the proof that I have accepted and been forgiven through Jesus Christ, and I receive that and give my life to Him, that is found in a passion for everything God and for everything His way. So the proof of the pardon that I have been forgiven, that I believe in Jesus, who He is, and I'm going to call myself a Christian and follow after him, the proof is in the pudding. And the pudding would be a passion for purity. Everything that's about God, for God, I'm after that. Other stuff, ah, maybe I was after that for a while, but I don't want to be anymore. So let's close with the final thought here. Um, 
chapter 6, verse 12. This Corinthian church, like, they're dealing with this stuff. You know, this kid was sleeping with his mom, and they're, they're doing all this stuff. Then they're all suing each other. That's in the beginning of chapter 6. Like, there's lawsuits everywhere. Paul's like, what are you guys doing? Like, can't you figure out a way to handle it within yourselves and not? Your church looks horrible. People are sleeping with relatives, and then they're suing each other. Do you understand what this looks like? And then Paul then, in verse 12, in chapter 6, after the lawsuit stuff, he gets back to the sexuality issue because it's such a big issue. Verse 12, he's quoting here. It's in quotes. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me. So he's quoting something that they would say. Because of grace, I could do anything. Everything is allowed to me. And there's like some truth in that, but there's also some not truth in that. Because how many people know there's some things in life, there's some doors you, that people can open that over a period of time they can't shut by themselves. Especially with substance abuse. That's a big one. You just open a door thinking like, for whatever reason, having fun, doing whatever, da 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 At some point in time, like, we become unable to shut that thing off. You're like, oh, what? how did I get here? How did I get here? That's why Paul says this, but I will not be mastered by anything. And then they say, another quote, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. Meaning, it's like, it's just your body. Like your stomach, you get food, you put it in, like it's just, there's nothing really significant about it. You have a stomach, you put food in, it absorbs it, like, you know, you go to the bathroom, you know, that's it, done deal. Like that's just what it is. And then, but Paul says, but God will destroy them both. And he goes further and he says, the body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. So they're saying like, well, Grace says I can just do everything whenever I want. He's like, no, because eventually you'll get mastered by something that you should have never touched in the first place. And then they go to say, well, you know, you just have stuff in your body. You just have needs and you just take care of them. Sexuality being one of them. You got these needs, you know, I got to do it. And he's saying, no, 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 not true either. Your body was meant for the Lord. And then he goes even further, saying in another letter, he says, you know what? The people that worship me, we talked about worship beforehand, right? Before we sang the songs. In Romans 12, Paul makes it really clear. He says, flat out. He says, the way that you worship me is by offering your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's like... So I don't care how, how we raise our hands or get on our knees or on our face or whatever. True worshipers, they'll also do that stuff. But in the arena with their bodies, the way they handle food, the way they handle sexuality, the way they handle all kinds of different things like pertain to their bodies, they're like, God, trust me with this thing. I'm going to do everything I can to serve the Lord with what I got. I'm going to go after not getting hung up on other stuff. I'm going to go after him being glorified in my body. It's powerful, right? Verse 14, By his power God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Say, never! Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him 
in spirit. It's like when somebody becomes a believer and the Holy Spirit lives inside of them, don't go sell out cheap and pimp yourself out to something else. You're a son and daughter of the king. What are you selling short for in other arenas? The Spirit of God lives inside of you. And he brings up an interesting point. He's like, man, that's like somebody you know, getting together a prostitute, male or female, doing whatever. Something happens and become one flesh spiritually. I don't know how that works, but that's what Paul says. And there's much more to one flesh than sexuality and physical intimacy, but that's a part of it. And Paul's like, don't even go there. You have a brand new inheritance and birthright. Stop selling out and selling cheap and selling short. That's powerful, right? <clears throat> Verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Some people want to like stand in there and like battle against it. Now I'm going to fight it. You know. That's why I love Joseph in the Old Testament. When Potiphar's wife who I just assume is attractive, comes by, pulls his little cloak down. Hey, he ain't around. He doesn't even, like, argue with, this is a bad idea, you know, like, we really shouldn't, like, no. He just runs buck naked out of the house. He doesn't even play around with it. He doesn't even play. It's like not even, apparently for him, that was just a door that he, he can't even, no, I don't even, I'm running away. And many times the talk and discussion of, you know, single people and being engaged is like, you know, how far is too far? What can I do? What can I not do? And as soon as those questions get asked, I understand the heart behind them, but the truth of the situation is, as soon as we really start to engage in that discussion and care about that, something's off in our hearts immediately really should be asking, are there any boundaries in me leading so-and-so to the Lord that might get me in trouble? Imagine that as a question for a couple. Instead of how far can I get? Can I touch this? Can I kiss, you know? Like. But that's the world that we live in. So we'll be in contact with them and it won't probably do a lot of good to be like, no, 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 you can't. We gotta like highlight where there's no value in that. It's just it's not gonna lead to anything great. And it wasn't even God's design for that in the first place. And he'll be more than faithful on the back end to show up and fulfill total with satisfaction. He will. So he says, just run from it. Don't don't like fight it. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And I just picture Paul like dropping his pen. <laughs> like, dude, done. Spirit just laid it out there. Just total unadulterated truth. Like, listen, bottom line, you're not your own. Your sexuality is not your own. The way you're going to go about handling your body, you committed your life to the Lord. He gave himself, he gave his son for you. Not your own. And you won't lose out in the deal. But you have to trust him in faith. And one way that you show that you worship him, really one of the main ways 
is by the way we use our bodies. And then Paul kind of just drops that whole discussion, and then he gets into marriage in chapter 7, which we'll get into next week. So, definitely practical stuff, right? Definitely relevant. And for us, I think it's important that Paul is specifically addressing in this church where they're messing up and screwing it up. But within that correction that he's given them, I think highlights some really important things for us to think about and consider. So we're going to do some communion time. And um, And maybe if we get a couple people just to help pass this out. Greg, you want to do the bread? There you go. You got it. It's amazing how many, uh, how many, you know, seasoned Christians, you know, they find all this stuff out. So God, like, reveals this stuff to their hearts when they get older. And then, many times, it's like, oh, I wish I knew this sooner. You know, how come I didn't know before? And, and sometimes, you know, life just happens. And so, as long as we find out now, is there any more bread left? Can I grab one? Oh, he's got it. Um, so, it happens a lot where people are like, you know, I, I wish I found out sooner. I just know now. And so, you know, much of life is we work with the information once we get it. But there does not seem to be a trend of the Christians who have now been made aware of God's truth towards sexuality. It doesn't seem real successful in that they've, like, passed that along. It hasn't been received really well to the next generations. And so... No matter our, thank you, you know, a lot in life, wherever we're at, in relationship, not relationship, whatever we've done, not done, there's future generations around us. And they're all searching, like, what's the deal? How do I do this? How do I handle this? And it's amazing how many kids I even come in contact with at school, and they're just like, you know, they flat out say, I'm still trying to find myself. I don't know who I am. What kids like even, you know? Kids are thinking that a lot, but not a lot of them verbalize it. And so in the arena of sexuality, where there's just a wealth of blessing, where there's an ability to just see a lot of God's character, it just gets sold cheap so often, so long. Um, You know, it's sad. It's sad. But hopefully we, as a church and as Christians we'll be able to bring some truth. And some of it might be in our history. Some of it might not be. Whatever we've done in the past is whatever we've done in the past. God is looking to make that thing be a testimony. And if we keep it covered up, it never gets there. It never gets there. So Jesus, we thank you
for the price that you paid for your love for us. We thank you how you modeled purity and a passion for your Father being glorified in your life. And Father, I pray, Lord, that that supreme focus towards what you say about us, towards how you feel about us, I pray that that would just reign in our hearts and in our lives. May it reign, Lord, in my heart, my life, and my home, Father. And may it reign here in this place, Lord. And if people are just struggling, Lord, with your goodness, I pray you speak to their hearts. Encourage them, Lord. Past or present failures, Lord, does not in any way guarantee future failures and disqualification. Complete redemption and restoration is found and following you in faith. And I pray that we wouldn't be afraid of that and we would just go forward in it, Lord. So says, while they're eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body, and so we take and we eat. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so we take and we drink. So I figure we'll close with that first song that we did. You guys sounded amazing during that, by the way. Let the sound of heaven ring out. I was like, hmm. Heaven come.